I, I loved, I loved seminary so much. It was one of the first times in my life where I felt like I belonged and I loved researching and writing and parsing vocabulary. And it was amazing. And as I finished my last year, we were approaching in the Methodist church, the general conference of 2019. Yep. And, um, one, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? I had to really, really sit with the homophobia and transphobia of the church. Mm. Um, my oldest son, who is 19, or no, he's 20. I know how old my kids are. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who, how old I am most of the time. So I would have to think about how old I am right now. Um, my oldest son is 20 now and had come out as transgender years before, like mm. enough years that we had done a number of gender affirming medical treatments and et cetera, which I'm not going to talk about, but I'm only mentioning it because I felt like I could not reconcile affirming the beautiful existence of my son with my faith. Hmm. And, and my son was gracious enough to, to have conversations with me about this. And, and he said, if this is where you feel like you need to be, then you should stay because you, you can do good work from inside. And I thought about that a lot. Like I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I, I do work places from the inside. I'm, I'm fine working from the inside. What I'm not fine with is being the angry mom of a trans kid. Because in that time and in that culture, if I was working on the church from the inside, I felt like, that was going to be the sum of my existence. Yeah. I I felt like I wasn't going to be taken seriously as clergy or as a deacon or as an elder or whoever if I kept saying trans people are perfectly and wonderfully made and and God knew that they were going to be trans when God knitted them together in our wombs. It's it's not a surprise to God that anyone is transgender. Hmm. It's not. If we honestly believe that we're perfectly and wonderfully made, how, how could that possibly be a surprise to an omnipotent, loving creator? Yeah. I mean, I think about, um, sorry, I teared up through that. <laughs> um, I think about, uh, how Chris Wiley talks about, um, talks about disability and disability theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like this sense that, um, uh, the idea that somebody is made wrong, it just doesn't, I, you, you really have to adapt, some some theological positions that you probably don't want to defend in other places in order to say that like god god screwed up in making you and and it's much more about the fact that the world around trans people does not allow them to be trans in the way that like could be revolutionary for for our understanding of god and transformation within ourselves yep. you know um which is not to say that like cultures around the world have not been able to do that i mean um 
that it it really is this um, modern phenomena of of this hatred in this way. But like you know, if there if there were just more ramps in the world, it wouldn't really matter that that Chris needs to use a wheelchair. And like by the same token, if we just affirm trans kids, they would not have the life that they have now. Trans adults, it's not easy then either. If we would just affirm people. Right, right. As they are. Like, it it reminds me of that scene in Bridget Jones's diary. I've only read the book. I've never seen it. Oh my movie. gosh. It's a complete, ridiculous, it's a ridiculous film. But Colin Firth, who is my movie boyfriend, says <laughs> to Renee Zellweger, I love you just as you are. And... May everyone feel the love of Colin Firth in that way. Can't we just love people just as they are? Mm-hmm. There's so many things that could be avoided if we could just love people just as they are. Like I mentioned Daniel Prude earlier. If we could just have loved Daniel Prude in his psychotic break self and had brought him a fucking blanket. He might be alive today. It could have been avoided. And his family loved him just as he was. His family loves him still just as he was. And, And why can't we just love creation? Why can't we love the planet? Why can't we love people? Why can't we? I mean, I there are people I don't love, but... Other people do, and we can let other people love people just as they are, even if we're, you know, having a hard time with that. Right. Which is why I say I can't love God, love people, and love myself regularly every single day. So that's me being human. But yeah, if we could just love people as they were created to be, why? It doesn't make any sense. And for us to say we believe in a God of love. And then we go on out and hang our asses all over the place. Like it's, it's not, it's not a good look. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so damaging to everything and everyone around us. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. And so it, and so anyway, I'm sitting with this impending cluster of a conference that's about to happen. And I'm just about to graduate seminary. And and I was taking a class called Kairos. And mm. it's about the moment now, the right now move of the spirit. And and we had to we had to write a paper about this Kairos experience. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to write about this conference that's coming up. And and so I, I did a deep dive into John Wesley's theology and what, what he wrote about God, a loving God and how, he, how his theology shaped Wesleyan churches. And I sent it to you and mm-hmm. it John Wesley would have been rolling like a hot dog at 7-Eleven in his his grave because what the church is doing is not what John Wesley set out to do. That was not his experience of God. That was not his understanding of how God interacted in the world and how God loved people. And, and it, I was done. I wrote this paper. I sent it to the church that I was a member at. And they removed me. And <sighs> I don't care. Um, I, I, I was going to quit anyway, but they removed me. And then I was kind of a person without a country. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with that because I was really angry 
Yeah. I was really angry because my kid wasn't good enough to be a member at the church. My, my kid isn't good enough to be clergy or a deacon or married or fully accepted in all their nuance. And I don't, I don't want to be part of a church that excludes like that. I want to be a part of a church that embraces. And at that time, that's not what the United Methodist Church was doing. The The church was so deeply entrenched in violence against itself and against each other that it it just wasn't it wasn't a safe place. It wasn't safe for me and it, it wasn't safe for our LGBTQIA plus siblings who are in the church. And, and I just, I'm not going to be a part of anything that excludes the people I gave birth to who I have been promised are perfectly and wonderfully made. I'm just, I'm just not, it's a hard pass. Um, yeah, so I, I broke up with the United Methodist Church. Um, Whew. Yeah. Um, this is just such a, it's such a great story of, um, of somebody whose heart has been moved in powerful and important ways to care for those around her and those not even around her, you know, like around the world and like willing to encounter the world and be shaped by, by all of the experiences that are offered to you and to learn and be excited about learning. And I think that, again, this is not everybody's experience. Yours and my experience of the United Methodist Church is not everybody's experience it's of the not. church. And I'm so glad it's not. Yeah. I know that the United Methodist Church has to be doing something right in some place because it's being allowed to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if Ethan were here, Ethan would say, well, God's judgment is coming upon the UMC and it will soon no longer exist. Um, We'll see (laughs) who's right at the end there. I have five bucks that says Ethan's right. But yeah, at the same time, I, you know... The, the camp that I worked at when I was in high school was a non-denominational Christian summer camp. But for a while there, it was known as the abuse camp, not because we abuse kids, but because kids would come to camp. Uh, it was a free camp if you came recommended through the Department of Social Services. And so kids would come and report being abused at home. And then, you know, then all of the wheels would get put into motion And like, we got this reputation as like, well, if you go there, if you let your kid go there, your kid's going to get taken from you because they're going to like coerce your kid into saying that there's abuse. Oh God! And that's not the situation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I worry that, that what the hell's a pastor is the place where you go when you want to like tell your horror story about the church. Um, and that we will convince you that actually the church was bad for you. Not that anybody's accused us of this, but I have that fear inside me because of this previous experience you know people are gonna do what people are gonna do Um, yeah and that's really a reflection of them and not of you and it's a reflection of them and not what we're talking about happening in the church either yeah I think for all that there is the the narrative uh, in in the like corporate UMC almost of of like this is what it really means to be a minister and ordained and like here are the ways that God will work in your life and all this kind of stuff which like God will work in amazing ways in your life if you enter into the ministry of the ordained I have no doubt however I mean, God does good stuff a lot of the time yeah for kind of regardless yeah it doesn't have anything to do with the church. Yeah, but I think it's important that we counteract that narrative mm-hmm. <laughs> that says that um, that that pressures us into ordination in a system that is not made for people um, 
people who appear as feminine in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And for honestly, it's not made for a system for people who are or care deeply for people who are LGBTQIA plus like, Yeah, I, if you can stay in and fight, I appreciate you. We've had uh, Derek Scott in the podcast, and he will be the person to turn off the lights on the UMC, it yep. sounds like, in its final breath. Um, and like more power to you. I I don't know. I often worry that I didn't fight the fight well enough or right enough or hard enough. And I think that it's just it's important for us to show this whole range of experiences. Yeah. If somebody else can say the church was great for me, I also want to be able to say and the church really has sucked for people too, you know. I think the the really important thing when we're looking at institutions and institutions effect on other people is that we come at it from a place of curiosity instead Mm -hmm. of judgment. And, and when I was deciding, you know, where, how, how, or if the United Methodist church fit into my life, my curiosity was how can I be fully authentically me who is the parent of these beautiful people. And also how can I be me who might be the person enforcing policies? Like, how does that fit together? It wasn't, how can I make this work for me? It wasn't, I have to do this one specific thing if I'm going to feel like I've succeeded in the world, or if I feel like, if I feel like my seminary education hasn't gone to waste, like I wasn't trying to forge a path. So I hadn't decided how I was going to be as the mom of four kids, some of whom are queer identifying and how I was going to be as a potential clergy person. I was wondering what was going to come of me being this mother and me being this person with a role in the church. Mm. And Ultimately, it just, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I, this feels like a weird place to leave the conversation, but I kind of want to leave this here so that we have this, this background in the story before we turn to what we had wanted to talk about, which was making mistakes and how you kind of go, go from that. And, And I hope that, that it's not an indictment of the church, like of the big capital C church, like that. That has never, ever been my intention. And Mm. the church is important in the work that it does. And it's important in the work that it doesn't do, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Pamela, kind of, we had scheduled this a while ago, uh, but then found what we really wanted to dig into and the events that have happened in your life in the past week. So do you want to catch us up on on that and as much information as you want to share? Sure. So back in the second week of September, my youngest child was admitted to the hospital for um a life-threatening condition. Already scary. Already scary. Um, this was not, this was something that we had known about and that we were, we were on a schedule to have addressed. Um, it is a completely, it's a condition that you can recover from. Um, and also they are no longer in a life-threatening situation. So I would just like to say that first of all. My job at the time that my kiddo was admitted to the hospital, um, it was the children's hospital of the hospital system where I worked. Um, My job let me, part of my job was to be in the medical record, electronic medical record of some of our patients in the service that I worked for. And so you had access to, to the system to secure information. Yes. And we were taught what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. Um, we're taught like to be in there for as short a time as you're supposed, as you can be to get what you need to do your job and then get out. Um, okay. 
so my kid's in the hospital and we had several meetings with a provider that was one of the people on my kid's team. And in my chart, which is the patient facing part of the electronic medical record, um, there weren't any notes from this provider after mm. several days. So I, I was kind of panicking. So I looked on the employee side at my kid's record, yeah. which is a massive no-no. Can you, I mean, I think probably we all, like there's a part of our brain that just goes HIPAA and we understand why, like we have a reason for why you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But can you explain why you're not supposed to do that? Um, no, not really. Um, okay. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not allowed to look at your own medical record. You're not allowed to look at random people's medical records. You're not allowed to look at any family member's medical record because even if you're the person, like I'm the guardian that gets to be in the medical record, I don't get to be in the backside of the medical record. I just get to be in the front end. Um, and you can only be in the, the back end, the employee facing part um, as part of your job. I, so my my thought when you had first kind of told me about this was that it was – this is a way of, like, protecting people's health information. Yep. And so, I mean, to me, I think of, like, you know, what kind of my go-to um, litmus test scenario is say that, like, you have um, – uh, uh, what's what's the release of information form your for your spouse, mm-hmm. um, and the spouse uh, like say that you are an abuser but also have access to this medical system, which I'm sure happens somewhere, and you should have information about what your spouse is in for when really like your spouse is in there because of the abuse that your spouse has suffered, and therefore like you being able to look at their records is. Um, he's just not going to help the person in the abusive situation. And so like a lot of these safeguards, I don't know, like there's part of me that really wants to defend you and be like, well, of course you did that. And like, it should be fine. But also like, we both know that that, that those policies and procedures are in place so that we can protect people's information in, Mm -hmm. in really dire circumstances. Right. And it was the wrong thing to do. And There are systems built in to flag when people are possibly doing things they're not supposed to be doing in the record. Wow. Yeah, I would not have guessed that 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 level of security would be there, but it makes sense. Oh, no, it definitely is. And um, and they tell you that that is in there and like that they can print out a whole entire record of every medical record I've ever looked at. Wow. Um, yeah, they are not playing around. And it turns yeah. out um, you get fired when you do that. So last week I got an email from my boss, who is the loveliest human being you'll ever meet. And she said, let's meet and talk. I got something I got to talk to you about that's easier to talk about in person. So usually I work from home. So I went in and had my meeting and she handed me a list of me looking at my kid's medical record and asked, you know, what's protected health information? Um, What are the policies about accessing records? Are you allowed to access your family's record? No. Are you allowed to just look at random people's records? No. Um, Handed me some policies that are hospital policies about protected health information. And then asked me what I was doing. And I said that I wanted to see what the provider had written. And she said, are you allowed to do that? And I said, no. And she said, okay, I will take your badge and your keys and your laptop and don't come back to work until we decide what's going to (sighs) happen. So that was Monday. And on Thursday, she called me up and told me that I was terminated. And the the job I had was literally 
my dream job. Mm. Um, I was working with a, a brand new service that helped make it easier to navigate the healthcare system for transgender patients. And I love the people that I worked with. Like I, I would do anything for any of them. Mm -hmm. And given that moment, I, I did not live up to my own standards of behavior. Like I, I just, I did the wrong thing. Yeah. And the results of that are really devastating. Um, I, I feel like I let my team down. I feel like I let my boss down. I let myself down. Um, it, it's just, it, it was just such a stupid stupid decision. And so I've had a lot of time to think about this now. Like, oh my God, what have I done? And I haven't found out how long my health insurance is going to last, um, which impacts the care that my kiddo is receiving right now today um it impacts the health care the rest of my kids and me get um and you know like doing fun things like having a place to live and food to eat and drive my car and feeding my dog etc and it's just there's there's not really a thing, a way in our culture and in this time that we live that that teaches you how to apologize and teaches you how to take responsibility for what you've done and also create space for yourself to pick up the pieces and move forward. Yeah. There's such a, um, such a shame around fucking up, you know, there's, we do not teach people how to make a mistake, however great with a mistake and get back up. We teach people, um, really, really what we do is we just incarcerate the mistakes, right? We we kind of have a one and done kind of a, kind of a, a thing. And, you know, we like to think it's easier perhaps to think that that everybody is equal to the worst thing they've ever done. Mm. And it's something that that Brian Stevenson talks about in his book about justice and about um his work with death row inmates. And and he says that no one is as bad as the worst thing that they've ever done or as good Mm. as the good thing they've ever done, the best thing they've ever done. Mm. And it is, it's really hard to fuck up royally. And, and keep doing something. Right. Because all you want to do is, all I want to do is curl up in a ball and never do anything ever again. I mean, I, when I make a mistake, it is so devastating to me. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's impossible. It is impossible for me to move forward a lot of the time because my brain won't let me and my feelings won't let me. Right. And my body listens to my brain and my feelings. And then there I am stuck because I've made a mistake and I don't deserve anything good ever again. So what's the point? Exactly. And like, so Monday afternoon and Monday evening and Tuesday and Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday evening, I was frozen. Like we have our, our fight, our flight or our freeze. 
And there wasn't any point in fighting because I was wrong and I, I, I get what I get, you know, like I, I made this mess and the, the consequences of it are swift and severe and now I have to deal with it. And, um, and flight, like, where am I going to go? There's no place to go. Everyone is connected 24 hours a day. The, the internet and the phones and everything, like you can't, you can't escape. You can't escape anything you've done. Like, look at the president. The the yeah. the garbage president. Like the former president. The former garbage president. Um <laughs> like, that guy You still have to specify which one though. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> I mean, there's so many options. So many options for former garbage presidents. Like America. Many. America. Um and not that I like the current one, just before, in case you leave that in and people are mad. Um, sure. <laughs> um, I, I think we're well past the point of that being the thing people are mad at us about. <laughs> right. So, like, you look at that guy. And that guy tried to overthrow the government of the United States. Tried to fuck the Constitution 12 ways from Sunday. And... Yeah pointed at other people and said that didn't happen i didn't do that like is that gonna be the way i do anything no 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 we cannot follow that that's nonsense and so i'm left with my my trauma behavior that i've learned and that is i'm the worst everyone will hate me forever and ever amen i've ruined everything and there's no recovering from this right Right. And then after, you know, 24, 36, 40 hours of that, I, I had to take a shower. Right. You can't just like be slovenly in your own mess. So it's also uncomfortable, you know? I mean, the whole thing was uncomfortable. Let's be honest. Fucking up. Uncomfortable. Disappointing your boss who you love. Uncomfortable. Losing the job you love. Yeah. Super uncomfortable. Disappointing the trans and gender diverse people that you work with who you are ride or die for. Very uncomfortable. So you just pick yourself up, you wash your hair, and you put Indeed back on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not a situation where, um, I'm trying to think of the way to say this. I, so have you read, uh, Rabbi Donny Rutenberg's Repentance, uh, and Repair? No, I have not. Sounds it's like a great book. I have some free time though. I could probably. Yeah. Pick it up. Um, so she works with, uh, Maimonides's, paradigm for repentance and repair and and forgiveness. And it is very different from, say, what I grew up with and what is really ingrained in my psyche, which is when someone hurts you, you forgive them right away, whether they're sorry or not, right? And also, if you make a mistake, you are forgiven right away because that's what grace is, you know? Forgiveness, Right. So that's the psyche that's in my, that's what's in my brain. What, what in this book, uh, rabbi talks, the rabbi talks about is, um, how actually like the onus the whole time is on the person who did something wrong. So it is on you to apologize. It is on you to make it right. It is on you to do that work that sets the ground to restore the relationship between you and the person you've wronged. And if the person that you've wronged chooses to, they can forgive you, but that is completely separate from the work that you must already do. You know, you must do the repentance and repair work regardless of whether forgiveness is going to come or not. Absolutely. And yeah. And if you ask, you know, a certain number of times and all this kind of stuff and the person still withholds forgiveness, then like, then that's their thing. And you have done Teshuvah, you're done. Um, 
And I like that. So thinking about your situation, the relationship is already severed. There's no coming back to this. There's no doing differently next time. I mean, that's how you know that you truly have repented is when in the same situation you choose differently. That's how you would know. And like at this point, if you were back in that situation, you would choose differently, right? 100% of the time. And so there's, that's the difficult thing here is that there's no second chance. There's no way to go back and do it differently, nor is there doing it differently in the future and like showing how sorry you are and repairing that. Right. It really is just living with kind of this open loss that like, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to fix this. All you can do is do the next thing. And I would, I would say though, to back up from doing the next thing, learning how to apologize properly. Ooh, yeah. Because if I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to blah, blah, blah. Like there's intent and there's impact. And mm-hmm. my my kiddo is not rolling his eyes at intent versus impact because like I have ingrained this into my children's psyches. Like what you intended, what I intended does not outweigh the impact of my actions. So my intent was to read the thing that the person had written so I would have all the information. And the impact was that I left a gaping hole in my team. And you can't bank on your intent. No one cares. No one cares. Mm, like mm. if you're driving your car drunk and you drive into someone's front porch and into their living room, like, oops, I meant to hit the brake. No one cares because you're drunk right. and you're parking your car in my living room. Like it doesn't matter. The damage is done. It, it doesn't matter. So me freaking out about the information about my kid doesn't matter. Because the impact just goes far beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So often, like, I learned how, I learned how to apologize when I was, I was admitting a group on Facebook, on Facebook a a few years ago. And there were some really very firm rules about apologizing when you screw up. And the intent versus impact one has really, really stuck with me. Because when I hear people being defensive about their intentions, I just don't care. Yeah. Whatever they say after that is noise. Because they're like, I'm so sorry, but me, 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 me. Yeah. And that's not, you can't walk through the world like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't do, I mean, the only thing that does is make you feel better, you know? And we, I mean, we've all seen celebrity apologies that are like that, you know, and that are just there to save face and make the celebrity feel better that don't materially improve the community that they've harmed or the people they've harmed. And, and that, I mean, that's the thing. This, this is something we've talked about a lot over the years. Something I've talked about a lot with Ian on Pillow Talk, probably, but it's probably made it onto the podcast too, is that like, the the work of apologizing, the work of repentance is not um, something you do in order that you get into heaven or that your sins are forgiven or whatever. It's it's work that you do in order to be able to live with other people and be in community with other people. Like it's actually all about maintaining and restoring community because yeah. in community we experience God yeah. and in community we build the kingdom. You and, know, like and being in relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and right relationship like that phrase just has stuck with me for so many years now, but like we need to be in right relationship with one another and we need to be in right relationship with God. And it's not like right, wrong relationship. It's whole connected, loving, empathetic, like connective connection. 
Yeah. And, and we know from like our earliest ages what like a whole relationship looks like, you know, yeah. we know what it's like to be open and to trust and to to do all this from the beginning of our lives. Yep. It's just that we convince ourselves over the course of our lives that we either don't need that or that we only need that with one person or that like nothing can be worth that. You know, like it's it, it we have to rewire ourselves is something we already kind of know. Yeah. And getting over ourselves in order to rewire ourselves is that's yeah. a really big hurdle so much of the time. Mm. It's so mm. hard. Because we don't want to look like a fuck up, but like a fucked up. Yeah. So let's call it what it is. Like, and that's another thing. Like, I think the importance of naming, I did the wrong thing. Yeah. And like, I don't want to never walking back from it. No. And like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want a cookie. I don't want someone to say, oh, thank God you're taking responsibility. No, I need to say that I made a mistake so that that's out of the way for the relationship to continue if there's going to be a relationship that continues. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, kind of my next question question or thought about this and I don't we can continue to we can stay on you the whole time if you want but we can also pivot to mistakes that I have made uh so you're not alone in this but my kind of my next question is like you've named that this does harm to the trans community and that like you are no longer in that position and no longer able to advocate for people who you have been caring for and you left again this this gap in your team and and I think first, it seems so essential to me that you name this as a fuck up. And so when people are like, uh, when somebody from the outside says, oh, of course, you know, that that liberal only wanted to get into the systems for her own purposes, you can instead say, no, I knew it was wrong. And and in this moment of weakness, I did it. And I'm sorry. And I wish I hadn't. And I won't again. And and I still have a heart for this work. I like I, I wonder how you navigate that knowing that this is still a community that you're going to care about. This is work that you still want to kind of do, but you still have to go forward knowing that this mistake is part of how people see you. Yeah, that sucks. But also I was, I was doing work before I got paid to do it. Ooh, yeah. And that, that was, that blew my mind that I could get paid to do stuff that I was doing already. I was getting paid to talk with parents of trans kids who were getting it worked out for themselves about how to parent a trans kid. And mm. I, I was getting paid to do that. And now, well, I'm going to go back to being not paid for it. Because even though I made a mistake, it doesn't make me a bad mentor. Mm and if someone doesn't want to work with me because this is a problem for them then I have to respect that because that's part of being accountable and part of being part of the community like if I don't have any credibility with people because of this then I need to work real hard to make sure that I can work myself into a not uncredible place. Right. So like, so that people, like if people need me to prove myself, then I'll prove myself. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what we see with like the comedians who got me to in mm-hmm. our back, you know, doing tours and things is they thought that they, they thought the solution was just to wait and then people would forget, forgive and forget because time had passed wow. when no, what you actually have to do is work very hard to rebuild your credibility and like over and over and over prove again to people that like, yes, you can trust me. Yes, you can do this. I am more than this mistake that I made. Right. And like that feels unfair. Um, and I think that this is going to seem out of left field. Have you ever listened to the podcast, Alice Isn't Dead? No. It is. If you like spooky things, it's great. Yeah. It's from the creator of Welcome to Night Vale. But there's, 
this trucker who goes on like this search to find her missing wife who she thought was dead, but isn't dead anyway. Um, really one of the pivotal moments, of the series is where two main characters, um, one who has been deeply wronged chooses to offer forgiveness and explains why she offers forgiveness. And the other person has already done the repentance work. You know, the other person has already, apologized profusely <laughs> has already agreed to not commit the thing again has done all of the repair work that person could do and the forgiveness still wasn't forthcoming and and what had to happen within the person who does the forgiving is realizing that like I really want a life that includes you in it and therefore I will forgive you I've forgiven you and that's it you know the the issue is done we don't need to pick it back up again but i think in a larger community where you're not kind of in that intimate personal relationship forgiveness looks like something that really happens over time as somebody continues to show up and continues to try again and to like rebuild that credibility. Otherwise it just looks fake. It just looks like you sat on the sidelines until you thought enough like water had passed under the bridge and people would have forgotten about it. But no, there's actual work involved in in regaining your place. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's a, a wound is a wound, right? It needs to be properly disinfected. It needs to be sewn up if it's big enough to be, to be sewn up. It, sometimes you need staples and glue. Sometimes you need a lot of antibiotics and in as much as you can provide any of those things, however metaphorical they might be, like you need to do that work. If you had punched someone in the eye and they were getting a black eye, then, you know, maybe getting an ice pack would be a good start. But you also, this is, I think the wound analogy is really helpful because for a wound to heal, you also do just have to give it time and you can't poke at it, right? Otherwise, you're just going to reopen it. Right. Um, Is this still there? Yep. Okay. Is that still there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> does this still hurt? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it really does. And that's where I think like in terms of helping to heal a community, that's where stepping back helps because people do need to do that, do that work too. But, but yeah, you don't just get to step away and say, oops, I'm done. You know, it it is this ongoing process. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, the next thing I need to do, um, well, that I feel like I need to do is to apologize to the people I work with Mm. and to say, look, this is what happened. And I did the wrong thing. And I want you to know that I am so sorry. And I understand if I'm going to need to prove myself to you. I understand if there are hoops I need to jump through in order to remind you who I am. Mm. And I've been committed to doing the work that I've been doing in my life. Um, The work that I do in the community and the work that I do on myself and like i got i have therapy tomorrow it's going to be ugly i'm pretty sure <laughs> you, yeah. you know i texted my therapist and she's on vacation and i'm sorry that i texted her but i was like look this is what happened i'll be ready for my appointment and 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 hopefully you know i will learn something more about myself in talking about it with her and hopefully I'm learning something about myself talking about it with you and talking mm. about it with my kids and, um, and talking about it with people who love me. Like one of my dearest friends is a doctor in the system that I work for. And I'm going to have to tell her that I screwed up and that's terrifying because this might mean that someone who I love like a sister 
could decide that she needs to think about how she feels about me based on the new information. And that sucks. But also, and like, and also talking about it here, like I, I said, my intent is not as important as my impact. And, and I really, I, I don't want this to, to come across as, you know, let me talk about how awful I am so that I can feel better about myself. But mm-hmm. more like we need to be having conversations about this in our homes and in our communities and in our workplaces and in our churches mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about people being human and people making mistakes and how how do we adjust our relationships to accommodate the fact that we suck sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that we don't all have to have this veneer of um, perfection at all times, right? and, you know? And that's another thing to, to circle it back to the church. Like these, these, the in Christian love people, do you know who I'm talking about? The in Christian love people like, Oh, I just want you to know I'm coming to you in Christian love, but you oh, right. do not wear that hat to church. Like someone said that to my spouse once in church. And I was just like, oh my God, have you ever seen this man without a hat on? Stop it. Right. <laughs> like that's not in Christian love. That's I'm invoking the name of Christ so that I can say something completely shitty to you because I don't like what you're doing. And mm-hmm. if we had space, I mean, the Bible is full of people who are hot messes. Mm -hmm. Even the heroes. Maybe especially the heroes. heroes. David, Peter, Paul, these men are a mess. And they are just as messy as every other person that ever walked the face of the earth. And we need to be okay being not okay yeah no that doesn't mean that like you don't I I think sometimes people take be okay with being not okay to mean like I accept myself even the bad things and then leave it there and don't ever do anything to fix the bad things they've done (laughs) you know that is absolutely not what I'm talking about here like we, we don't need like we all suck. So we just have to overlook how sucky we are in order to get on with our lives. No, like we need to look at how sucky we are in the mirror and we need to wipe that glass off first. Yeah. Like get all those little specks from when you're messy brushing your teeth off and really have a good long look and decide, is this who I want to be in the world? Mm. And, and if this is not who I want to be in the world, what do I need to do in order to live fully as the person I was created to be? Mm. Because yes, we're flawed. I'm flawed. You're flawed. Everybody's flawed. But we don't have to be okay with that. Like we can try for better. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, that's one of the things about being in relationships with other people. Like I don't want to be a crappy friend to you. So I'm going to do not crappy things when I'm engaging with you. And I'm going to do not crappy things when you're not around so that if someone mentions me to you, Oh my gosh, did you hear Pamela? Blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that's not who I want to be in the world. And And if I have a heart for people, I need to make sure that my actions and my words are always striving to be better. Because if I, and it goes back to the love thing. If I am not loving God, if I'm not loving myself, and if I'm not loving other people in a grace-filled way, then what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think it's really important that 
we have these conversations when we mess up and we have them in all these different spaces. But I think especially that we have conversations about this mistake, that mistakes like the one that you just made, that it is clearly wrong, there are clear consequences, and there is only what comes after the consequences, you know? Yep. I Because if we can't have these difficult conversations with something that's clear cut, how are we going to have conversations about something like the situation when I left my churches that I was serving and and, and the myriad and complicated ways that people were hurt and the myriad and complicated mistakes that were made by many people, including myself. Like we spent a lot of the podcast processing this. And yep. so I'm not like trying to rehash it. No. But um, but like I did not do everything that my congregation needed me to do. And like there are many reasons why, but I'm sorry. Like I, I am sorry that I wasn't able to navigate this situation in a way that was life-giving for everybody. And like, could anyone, I don't know, could Jesus, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really know, but I am sorry that this wasn't, that I didn't, I wasn't able to do everything that would have given life in this situation. And now like, have they apologized? No, but I think for myself, it's important for me to know and own the mistakes that I made. Right. Because we, we just, we can't, it's impossible to be the best version of ourselves all the time. And also it is impossible to be everything to everyone at every minute. Yeah. Yeah. And now that doesn't really pertain to my situation in this, in, in this particular context, because I was not anything to anyone at that time. Like I just wasn't, but like in your context is so much more nuanced because there's Mm -hmm. so many people and every person needed something different and every person has their own luggage rack that they carry around with them and you have your own luggage rack that you carry around with you and sometimes some people's bags are too big to fit in the overhead compartment Mm -hmm. and there's just nothing you can do about it like you can stand there and you can block traffic and you can make it hard for people to get around you to go sit down in their seats and put their seatbelts on, but it's not going to change the fact that your bag is too big for the overhead compartment. Like you just got to check your bag sometimes. And yeah, everybody cannot check their bags at the same time. And that's where there's like systems in place, you know, like we have found ways to deal with this practical thing. But until we name that there is a problem that needs to be dealt with, then we don't develop those systems, right? right? Until we consider it. And I think also it's important for us to own up to when we make wrong choices so that when we make, um, a choice that goes against the rules, but is the right thing to do, we can distinguish between us making a mistake. I'm thinking about um, the three clergy people we've recently had on the podcast who perform same gender Mm -hmm. wedding ceremonies in the UMC. And like that is against the rules. It was also the exact right thing to do. And if we don't have that good practice sense of, I do. I have done this thing and this caused harm and I'm sorry versus I did this thing and actually there's no harm. I'm actually just acting against an unjust rule. Like I, and until we have that really robust practice with this, then you end up with people defaulting to really simple interpretations of a situation that don't help anybody yes. and just entrench us further yes. apart from each other. Yes. Yes. All of that. Oh, well, this, I, I hate to do my, well, this has been great. So I won't <laughs> Let me do a different way of doing it. I'm so thankful, Pamela, that you have come on to share this and talk about this. I know it's also recent, so you're probably going to have more reflections and things, but like, this has just been so valuable as a case study uh, to talk through with you. So thank you for bringing it. Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk about my fuck up. You are welcome. I would say anytime, but hopefully there's not too many situations like this again. Hopefully this is the one. This is my one. And then I'm going to be done with that. Yeah. Yeah. Not that we ever stop messing up, but that in moving on toward perfection, we make different mistakes and they aren't of the same caliber. Yes. Let's say. Different, yeah. different, different learning lessons to come from all of that. So 
Yeah. We will have to have you back again to talk about more of the things that we didn't get to. But for right now, I'm going to sign us off. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Anana on a Phylaxis and the Dude, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomolf, performed by Joe Shomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. This is who I am in the world, and this is who I am, and this is how I'm going to be in the world, and this is... Oh, my God. (laughs) That was my dog just shaking it off. She's doing her Taylor Swift. Got it.